building his own house 13 years and he finished all his house. He built the house of the forest of Lebanon. Its length was 100 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits on four rows of cedar pillars with cedar beams on the pillars. It was paneled with cedar above the side chambers which were on the 45 pillars, 15 in each row. There were artistic window frames in three rows and windows and windows and window was opposite window in three ranks. All the doorways and doorposts had square squared artistic frames and window was opposite window in the three ranks. How far do you say go? Two twelve. Then he made the hall of pillars. Its length was fifty cubits and its width thirty cubits. And a porch was in front of them and pillars and a threshold in front of them. He made the hall of the throne where he was to judge, the hall of judgment, and it was paneled with cedar from floor to floor. His house where he was to live, the other court inward from the hall, was of the same workmanship. He also made a house like this hall for Pharaoh's daughter, whom Solomon had married. All these were of costly stones, of stone cut according to measure, sawed with saws, inside and outside, even from the foundation to the oak, to the coping, and so on the outside of the great court. The foundation was of costly stone, stones, even large stones, stones of ten cubits and stones of eight cubits. And above were costly stones, stone, stone cut according to measure in cedar. So the great court all around had three rows of cut stone and a row of cedar beams, even as the inner porch of the house of the Lord and the porch of the house. Okay, now we're dealing with Solomon's palace. How long did it take him to build it? Thirteen years. How long did it take him to build the temple? I don't know what to make of that. Now, I mean, his palace and the things he built were about four times bigger than the temple. So maybe that's why it took so much longer. Might call into question a little bit his priorities as well. Um... This was quite, wow, he built all kinds of structures. <laughs> and he built the house of the forest of Lebanon. In fact, it's called the palace of the forest of Lebanon because it has so many trees from Lebanon in it. It's like the Lebanon forest, uh, you know, right there in Jerusalem, which is kind of funny. Um, but it tells about, you know, his house and then other buildings that were built. Um... And, and part of this, in verse 8, was for Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter seems to have been Solomon's favorite wife. He did a lot for her. There was a lot of emphasis on her role in all these things. So, he's got quite a set of structures that he's building for himself and perhaps for his wives and the government here. Thoughts and comments? Does they only make wooden houses here? As opposed to... Like they're stone. making bricks in Egypt. Yeah. Uh, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, he does have a lot of stones in this as well, as far as the foundation is concerned. Uh, but I don't know if they ever made houses themselves of stone or not of brick. I don't know. This is interesting. They give dimensions and some, a few details, yet the information that's given, you can't really piece it all together enough to figure out exactly how it was. And there's really not nearly as much information given about the palace and all as there is about the temple. It's just enough to make you question. It's like there's four rows of cedar pillars. 
45 pillars, 15 in each row. Yeah. That's that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> 15, 30, 45. That's three rows. But I don't know Maybe. if that's the same pillars or... No, where? Maybe they were just, three. Maybe they're out of different First two and verse three. On four rows of cedar pillars. And then he paneled it, which were on the 45 pillars, 15 in each row. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they translated it wrong and it's supposed to be three rows of pillars, which doesn't make sense because <laughs> then he has a triangular house. <laughs> Maybe it's saying that there's 15 chambers on top of the 45 pillars. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have a lot of information, so that may be part of the issue here. We're not given all the details. We do know it took a long time. <clears throat> Other thoughts? Look at 13. Now, King <clears throat> Solomon sent and brought Hiram from Tyre. He was a widow's son from the tribe of Naphtali. And his father was a man of Tyre, a worker in bronze, and he was filled with wisdom and understanding and skill for doing any work in bronze. So he came to King Solomon and performed all his work. So he's got a specialist in bronze and uh, who's doing a lot of this uh, work. Uh, he's from uh, Naphtali, but his father's from Tyre, so he has special ability. Uh, may remind you, in the tabernacle, there was a specialist named Bezalel that, you know, helped in the building of the tabernacle. So you've got a, a you know, craftsman here, uh, Hiram. Reminds you of Hiram, king of Tyre, but this was a different Hiram. Hmm. So he was an Israelite from Naphtali. That's correct. But his father was from Tyre. So he was mixed okay. marriage. You know, he was, uh, you know, he was half Israelite, half Tyrian? Tyrant? I don't know. <laughs> Tyrite? <laughs> but since he was a widow's son, he probably would have grown up in Tyre, but when his father died, went back with his mom. I don't know about home. that, yeah. But that's where probably he would learn his skills. Or maybe from his father, even if he lived in Naphtali. Where was Naphtali, by the way? Up north. Way up north in the direction of Tyre. Um, and so, anything else through 14? All right, 15 to 22. He fashioned two pillars of bronze, 18 cubits was the height of one pillar, and a line of 12 cubits measured the circumference of both. He also made two capitals of molten bronze to set on the tops of the pillars. The height of one capital was five cubits and the height of the other capital was five cubits. There were nets of network and twisted threads of chain work for the capitals which were on the top of the pillars. Seven for one capital and seven for the other capital. So he made the pillars and two rows around and two rows around on the one network to cover the capitals which were on top of the pomegranates. And so he did for the other capital. The capitals which were on top of the pillars in the porch were of lily design, four cubits. 
They were capitals on those two pillars, even above and close to the rounded projection which was beside the network, and the pomegranates numbered 200 in rows around both capitals. Thus he set up the pillars at the porch of the nave, and he set up the right pillar and named it Jachin, and set up the left pillar and named it Boaz. On top of the pillars was a lily design, so the work of the pillars was finished. Okay, so what are we seeing described here? Pillars. Two pillars, in, I'm assuming in front of the temple. Um, they're big, and they've got capitals on top of them. Now, what are they made of? Bronze. So that's con the connection of Hiram here. He was the bronze worker that was doing this work. Pretty much everything for public exposure in the temple seems to have been made of bronze. Everything on the inside was at least overlaid with gold. But uh, these uh, pillars and uh, capitals were of bronze and had various uh, ornaments. Uh, and he even has a name for each of the pillars. Uh, so these are, these are significant uh, items here in front of the temple. Impressive items. Comments? What do the names mean? Uh, good question. Established and in it is strength. Yeah, that's what it, my margin says. So they're practically, well, they're actually taller than the, well, yeah, taller than the temple. Standing yeah. outside the temple, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I'm assuming in front of the temple is what I'm assuming. Hmm. So they're just an architectural work of itself. They don't seem to be tied to the structure of the temple, the best I can tell. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Other thoughts? 23 to 26. Now he made the sea of cast metal in 10 cubits from brim to brim, circular in form, and its height was 5 cubits and 30 cubits in circumference. Under its brim, gourds <coughs> went around, encircling it ten, 10 to a cubit, completely surrounding the sea. The gourds were in two rows, cast with three red, cast with the rest. It stood on. It stood on twelve oxen, three facing north, three facing west, three facing south, three facing east. And the sea was set on top of them, and all the rear parts turned inward. It was a handbreadth thick, and its brim was made like the brim of a cup, as a lily blossom. It could hold two thousand baths. Okay. Now, what have we got here? The sea. We got the sea. Now, what did you have in the tabernacle that was equivalent to this? The laver. The laver. What was the purpose of the laver? Washing. Yeah, for the priest to wash and so forth. Here, you've got this sea. It's enormous. Um, now, we're going to see in the next section the sea was more or less like the water reservoir, we could say. There were actually mobile uh, wash basins that were filled by the sea that they actually used. So this sea was just the place where the, the water was, was kept. Uh, but it's gigantic and sitting on top of 12 oxen. So this is quite, a, quite an affair, just this, uh, this sea that is there in the courtyard, I'm assuming, around the tabernacle. 
around the temple. We're used to saying temple. Um, comments and thoughts on that? So it wasn't for a spiritual purpose for like priesthood cleansing. It was just for the regular water. No, I th no, I think it is. I think they fill the mobile wash basins for the priests out of that sea. And so it would be at least for the priest cleansing. I don't know if perhaps they use this water also to wash the entrails of the entrails, whatever we said oh. that was supposed to be, of the, of the animals as well. Uh, but, but for whatever purposes they need water there in the, the temple, at least for the priest purification, you've got this big, you know, basin, uh, big kind of a water tank that then they'd fill these smaller uh, basins with. Thoughts? We have a lot of detail about this, don't we? Um, 27 to 40. Then he made the ten stands of bronze. The length of each stand was four cubits, and its width four cubits, and its height three cubits. This was the design of the stands. They had borders, even borders between the frames, and on the borders which were between the frames were lions, oxen, and cherubim. And on the frames there was a pedestal above, and beneath the lions and oxen were wreaths of hanging work. Now each stand had four bronze wheels with bronze axles, and its four feet had supports. Beneath the basin were cast supports with wreaths at each side. Its opening inside the crown at the top was a cubit, and its opening was round like the design of a pedestal, a cubit and a half. And also on its opening there were engravings, and their borders were square, not round. The four wheels were underneath the borders, and the axles of the wheels were on the stand, and the height of the wheel was a cubit and a half. The workmanship of the wheels was like the workmanship of a chariot wheel. Their axles, their rims, their spokes, and their hubs were all cast. Now there were four supports at the four corners of each stand. Its supports were part of the stand itself. On the top of the stand there was a circular form half a cubit high, and on the top of the stand its stays and its borders were part of it. He engraved on the plates of its stays and on its borders cherubim, lions, and palm trees according to the clear space on each with wreaths all around. He made the ten stands like this. All of them had one casting, one measure, and one form. He made ten basins of bronze. One basin held forty baths. Each basin was four cubits, and on each of the ten stands was one basin. Then he set the stands, five on the right side of the house and five on the left side of the house, and he set the sea of cast metal on the right side of the house eastward toward the south. Now Hiram made the basins and the shovels and the bowls. So Hiram finished doing all the work which he performed for King Solomon in the house of the Lord. Okay, so you've got these portable stands of bronze. Now they're much smaller than the sea. The sea in verse 26 could hold 2,000 baths each of these basins held 40 baths, verse 38. So these are what they would actually use, I think, for their washing to be refilled from the sea. That's what I'm taking this as being. And they're made of bronze like everything was out here in the courtyard. Some of the details of this I have a hard time visualizing. I'm not sure that I understand how all this is set up. But basically they're portable wash basins for the priest's use. Thoughts and comments? 
<coughs> how much is a bath? Like, what's the? I difference? don't know the answer to that. Anybody know how much a bath is? Depends on how dirty you are. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. Other thoughts? All right, 41 to uh, 47. <clears throat> a bath is eight gallons. All right, eight gallons, thank you. So for 40 baths would be 320 gallons. And good grief, 2,000 baths would be, how much you say each one was? Eight. That's what I said. Eight, eight gallons, gallons and three quarts. Eight gallons. So you're talking about 1,600 gallons. Well, that sea is huge. I guess so. All right, back to 41 to 47. The two pillars and the two bowls of the capitals, which were on the top of the two pillars, and the two networks to cover the two bowls of the capitals, which were on the top of the pillars, and the 400 pomegranates for the two networks, two rows of pomegranates for each network to cover the two bowls of the capitals, which were on the tops of the pillars, and the ten stands with the ten basins on the stands, and the one sea, and the twelve oxen under the sea, and the pails, and the shovels, and the bowls, even all these utensils which Hiram made for King Solomon, and the house of the Lord were of polished bronze. In the plain of the Jordan the king cast them. In the clay ground between Succoth and Zarathan, Solomon left all the utensils unweighed because they were too many, and the weight of the bronze could not be ascertained. All right, so basically Hiram made all this bronze stuff of bronze, and uh, it was so much bronze they couldn't calculate it. You know, it was, uh, they just decided not even to try to figure out how much uh, bronze they had in all of that. Must be a lot. Uh, it's just amazing how much, how much went into all of this work around the temple. Really incredible. Lots of work. No wonder it took seven years. Thoughts? What's the point in us knowing all this? Good question. What's the point in us knowing all this? I mean, this is God's house. You know, it shows the, you know, emphasis on, on God dwelling with man. Um, you know, important worship and service goes on here. Um, you know, I mean, there's certain specific lessons. Gold, closer you get to God. Bronze, when you get farther away. Things like that. I don't know. What would you say to that? What? What is? What? Why do? Why are we told all this detail? The more detail, the more real it becomes in my mind. And this isn't just some. All right, you know, made a temple, and maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. This is real. Yeah. Good point. Say it also shows that maybe God cares about details. You know, sometimes, I guess, to draw an application, some people think they can just worship God however they want. It's like, well, God cares about details, too. And you could see that with how they worshiped under the tabernacle. And, you know, certain people choose to use whatever fire they think is okay, but God wanted them to use a certain type of fire from the altar, and he killed them for it. And so God cares about details. 
Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, there's probably not as many details here in the construction of the temple as there was in the construction of the tabernacle, even. You look at the last uh, 15 chapters of Exodus, wow. And uh, the point in part was, you know, when you're worshiping God, you want to do everything just like he says. You know, he's got a, he's got a preference as to how things are done. So maybe that, that's a good point. And it was carried out that way. You right. Know? And so we see the, you know, that's one thing about the tabernacle. You see the plan and you see it carried out exactly, you know. And so you kind of assume the same thing here. Yeah, good point. Sarah? Just that this sounds like a pretty place. I mean, in the sense that it is beautiful. All of the, the carvings <coughs> and the etching and all the details and just that there's an element of beauty in, in the worship of God. Good point. Those are all good <coughs> thoughts. Other comments or thoughts? 48 to 51. Solomon made all the furniture which was in the house of the Lord, the golden altar and the golden table on which was the bread of the presence, and the lampstands, five on the right side and five on the left, in front of the inner sanctuary of pure gold, and the flowers and the lamps and the tongs of gold, and the cups and the snuffers and the bowls and the spoons and the fire pans of pure gold, and the hinges both for the doors of the inner house, the most holy place, and for the doors of the house, that is, of the nave of gold. Thus all the work that King Solomon performed in the house of the Lord was finished, and Solomon brought in the things dedicated by his father David, the silver and the gold and the utensils, and he put them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. Wow, the things inside the temple, gold, 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 including even the uh, sockets of the doors are made of gold. I mean, wow, uh, this is very, uh, everything has to be splendid to fit with the Lord. I mean, think about some of the lessons from that. Nothing is too good or too lavish or too well done for a God as great as our God is. Aren't we seeing that? And, uh, you know, this extravagance just is sort of a human attempt to match the glory that belongs to God. You, would, you, would you come into a temple like this and, you know, sort of uh, be disrespectful, inattentive, you know, doze off? Uh, you know, I mean, doesn't this show us something about the need to be really respectful of the Lord that we worship? You know, he deserves gold stuff. You know, if you're talking about material, he deserves great, you know, fervor and care and, you know, seriousness if we're talking about our worship. Uh, shouldn't everything we do for God be like we were working on the temple? So maybe there's some lessons and things like that. Thoughts? This is the dwelling place of God, and we today are the dwelling place of God, and how much do we reflect you know, the, the, the beauty of the temple? That's a good point. I mean, you know, if you think about your life and your heart and your body being the place where God lives, have you built it with gold? And that doesn't mean anything about, you know, like, uh, you know some sort of physical adornment, you know, you're not trying to make yourself physically beautiful, we're talk, talking about spiritual beauty. I mean, do you have, 
Are your thoughts and your motives golden? You know, are the ac actions and your words, you know, specially holy for the Lord? Or are you expecting him to come in and dwell in a house that's all run down and dirty and, you know, cobwebs all over the place and so forth spiritually? So that might be a good application to think about, you know, how can you make your life a place where God would be, uh, would be appropriate for God to dwell? Good thought. It always is helpful if you think about God today, the God that dwelt in a building like this, now dwells in me. And uh, if we thought about that more, I think we'd be a little more careful about some things. You know, it's just kind of, uh, you know, you wouldn't really expect God to live in a place uh, that was filled with filthy language or filthy habits or filthy thoughts or, you know, whatever. I mean, wow, that would be really disgusting to imagine God having to come in and live in a place like that. Yeah. Oh, um, kind of put me in mind, I don't know if this is going to make sense, but if it's going to come out the way it is in my head, <laughs> but if you look at the old law and you look at <coughs> the temple, it's kind of detailed and ornate and almost nothing could ever quite be good enough, whereas with the new covenant and Christ, he was just an ordinary man. Uh, an ordinary looking man, you know, humble, um, quote, lowly, um, and a new covenant being uh, our hearts, you know, in our hearts. Whereas back then, he hadn't come yet, so it couldn't, nothing could um, get them quite where they needed to be, if you know what I'm saying. Sure, and, and maybe the physical extravagance right. of the old covenant. Mm -hmm you know, foreshadows the spiritual glory and holiness of what we have in Christ mm -hmm. now. Yeah. So it's kind of leading us to that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. Good comments. Other thoughts? Did we discuss last week where Solomon got the plans for the temple? Or did we come up with an answer? Because I don't remember. I thought we might have mentioned it, but I don't remember what we said if we did. Yeah, I don't remember. I think we did discuss it. Didn't you say it was twice the size of the tabernacle? Yes, it is that. And I don't know that we said any place where. Yeah. I don't. Just know. because I know, like in Exodus, there's a lot of like specific instructions for the tabernacle, and then the temple. There were in there were specific instructions, specifically from God about how you put the tabernacle together. Right. And we don't have though that same. God said you're going to have pomegranates and lions and oxen detailed on the around your you know, basin, your rolling water cart. So. You know, what about this? In 1 Chronicles 28-11, Then David gave to his son Solomon the plan of the porch of the temple, its buildings, its storehouses, its upper rooms, its inner rooms, and the room for the mercy seat, and the plan of all that he had in mind for the courts of the house of the Lord, for all the surrounding rooms, and for the storehouses of the house of God, and for the storehouses of the dedicated things. Also for the divisions of the priests and the Levites, and for all the work of the service of the house of the Lord, 
and and the utensils and so forth and so on and so on and so on. And uh, verse 19, all this said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the details of this pattern. That might be the best answer we could come up with. There's our thus saith the Lord. So the Lord gave it to David. David passed it on to Solomon. First Chronicles really does a lot of background for the temple and a lot for temple worship, temple service, and all of that. You know, David didn't build the temple, but he was the one that God used to make a lot of the plans and the organization and the worship and all that for the temple. And that a lot of that's in First Chronicles. And if you're like me, we haven't looked at First Chronicles as much as we need to. So I'm working on that at the moment. But. All right. Um, other comments or thoughts on chapter 7? Chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the 